Hello, welcome to the Family Five podcast with Ivy Law Group, where we will tackle the tough family law issues and the time it takes you to drink your coffee. I'm Jessica Hamilton. I'm the marketing manager for Ivy Law Group, and I'm joined by my boss, Shane Neagle, who is the director of Ivy Law Group and the family lawyer extraordinaire. In this podcast, we will take a five in five approach, five questions in five minutes. Our aim is to keep the podcast light, easy to understand, and to give you some valuable information to take away with you. And here we are again, back with another episode. How are things going in the world of Shane? I hope you said Shane, not shame. I say the world of shine is going well. All right, so in last week's episode, we talked about contribution. This week, we're going to talk about future needs. So first things first, what exactly are future needs in family law in layman's terms? (laughs) Jessica, layperson terms. Here we go. (laughs) This is the third step follow-on from contributions. Future needs are the factors that are relevant to consider for each party moving into the future. It's step three of the four-step test that the court takes into account. Although I keep saying it's five steps, let's just work on the four steps. They include, and I'm talking to um, our listeners, age and state of health of you and the other person, the income, property and financial resources, and that means you're a beneficiary of a trust or of you and the other party, and importantly, the physical and mental capacity of each of you to obtain gainful employment. That's a really critical factor that can come into account. Uh, Which party's got the care of control of a child or children of a relationship? The next one, what are the commitments of you and the other party uh, necessary to support you or a child or any other person you've got a duty to maintain and that can be sometimes you're a carer of a, a parent or even a high needs child are you uh, eligible for a pension allowance or government benefit these are factors that the court can take into account okay just uh, can you maintain a reasonable standard of living are you or the other party now living with another person because the other person might enter into a relationship with a, a very wealthy magnate and that gets taken into account are you or the other person paying child support they're the common future needs can i just say the job of the court here is not to even up the financial position of each party, uh, but to determine whether an adjustment of percentage is needed to give to just an equitable outcome. So following on from that, say someone's future needs are that they have primary care of a child or children and therefore they can't work full time. Does that mean they will get a swing in their favour in a family law settlement? They're your classic examples, whether someone's got more care of the other, of the children, earning capacity of each person. Usually you can have one person that's very wealthy uh, in terms of income and the other person, due to the duration of the marriage, had an effect on their earning capacity. They're your classic examples. You asked about whether the impact of children and extra care, well, that's a classic um, where the court will bend over backwards if it sees and that uh, the other person is going to be able to work readily, but this other person's at home, for example, with a child living with autism. Yeah, and the court will uh, adjust accordingly. So would one person's future needs outweigh the others? For example, say one person's future needs are based on their employment status, but the other is based on health conditions that might require ongoing medical care. How is this then decided? Is one future need more important than the other? It's funny that you ask that, Jessica, because a recent case of ours highlights how important these future needs factors can be in certain cases. In this case, it dealt with a husband and wife where the husband had been the main breadwinner through the entire relationship and the wife was the homemaker who looked after their 17-year-old son with autism. It was interesting because the husband received a $1.4 million 
injury compensation payment, which totaled 60% of the whole net asset pool, uh, and was agreed that the wife could work and the husband would have difficulty due to his injury. But the judge there noted that uh, her ability to work was affected by three things. Uh, she'd been home looking after the children in the house and had not worked for 24 years. She had no formal qualification, skills or training and would have to retrain at 52. The care of the child uh, with autism required day-to-day care. And the judge there assessed the party's contributions, remember step two, as 75-25 in favour of the husband because of the massive injection into the pool. However, after considering the wife's future needs there, uh, the court made a 15% adjustment to the wife, bringing the final percentage split to 60-40 in favour of the husband. Okay, so on that then, do you need to provide evidence to the court as to your future needs? If so, how do you go about doing this? We engage experts, for example, a recruitment consultant uh, as to the future income for gone due to a client's decision to put their family before a career. So they say, no, I'm going to stay home with the autistic child. And also there's, you know, there's tables that help though to work out future disparity of net income or capital cost of children. You normally would have uh, evidence adduced from a forensic accountant who would put all those... tables and formulas together by way of an expert report. Well, the court's not obliged to make any adjustment and it really comes down to the context, the particular set of facts of that relationship. The last example we just gave is your classic. Uh, even though this compensation came, came at the end, the, the wife would have been carrying the heavy load with the young child and, and couldn't get back into the workplace. It just wasn't going to be fair. It's no guarantee there's going to be adjustment. It, you need these kinds of cases where it would be just an equitable to do it. So... Let's move on to my favourite part of the podcast, which is the joke section. Uh, Take it away, Shane. I wouldn't be getting too excited, Jess, because they're not that good. But why are elevator jokes the best? Because they work on so many levels. Boom. Boom. Have you got any others? Why is Peter Pan always flying? He never lands. Get it? Never, never land. (laughs) Bye, everybody. Thanks, Shane. Thank you so much, Jessica. Thanks for tuning in and don't forget to save us to your favourites wherever you listen to your podcast so that you don't miss an episode. It's important to note that the contents of this podcast are intended as a general guide to the subject matter and if you are looking for specific advice about your individual circumstances, then we would recommend getting in touch with one of our friendly family lawyers.